Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health by providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources. Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. For the past two decades, TA Sciences has been dedicated to exclusively creating research-based, clinically tested wellness products that help address telomere shortening through the science of telomerase activation. As you know, anti-aging has been a huge focus of my research, and I am thrilled to have TA Sciences as a sponsor of New Frontiers. Learn about their products, their research, their outlook on anti-aging at tasciences.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And today, of course, is no exception. I'm really excited to uh, once again have Dr. Walter Longo joining me. We'll link in the show notes to my first conversation with him back in 2018. And it was just a terrific tour of you know, the research he's conducted and his whole, you know, his background, his, his, his early inspiration, his mentors, et cetera. So we'll, we'll park that in the show notes so you can access it. And then we're going to, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off then and talk about what he's been up to. But let me just give you a little bit of his background before we do that. Uh, he is the director of the Longevity Institute at USC in Los Angeles and of the program on longevity and cancer at IFOM in Milan, Italy. He studies, his study focuses on the fundamental mechanisms of aging in simple organisms and mice and on how they can be translated to humans. Dr. Longo received the 2010 Nathan Schock Lecture Award from the National Institute on Aging and the 2013 Vincent Cristofolo Rising Star Award in Aging Research from the American Federation for Aging Research. Dr. Longo, welcome to New Frontiers. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, you know, you've been a tour de force in science. I mean, you've just had publication after publication really showing some extraordinarily impressive work on the fasting mimicking diet. And I want to do two things. I just, you know, I think most of our listeners know and probably have tried the fasting mimicking diet. This is primarily a professional audience who's listening to this podcast. Um, but I'd like you to give an overview and then I really, I just want to jump in and kind of do a survey of, of what, you, what you've found over the years using FMD. Yes, so the, the FMD was uh, developed, uh, well, first of all, the, the periodic fasting, this idea of doing fasting for just a few days uh, periodically uh, was a response. It wasn't really done by anybody else that I knew of. I mean, there are people that were doing this long, like two, three weeks long fasting, like the Bookinger Clinic 
mm-hmm. but this um, we I wanted to test. Uh, I wanted to, uh, to find a, a sort of replacement for calorie restriction, right? So is there a, a something that we can do once in a while for a few days, and that would be long lasting? So that first started with water only periodic fasting in mice and humans. Um, and then we realized uh, maybe like 12, 13 years ago in a first cancer trial at USC that uh, patients were now w- very happy about uh, water only fasting to treat cancer. And, um, and so uh, we went back to the National Cancer Institute and National Institute on Aging, and they both funded us uh, uh, to help us uh, develop the fasting mimicking diet. And so the idea was to, um, to come up with something that uh, would uh, generate the same effects that, that water-only fasting has on, uh, on blood markers that uh, we believe are, are central for, for the effects of fasting. So, I mean, so you, you, you needed to create basically a, you know, something that people would be able to adhere to, but was as effective. Is it I mean, well, I guess my question is, I think you've, water only may not be as effective as fasting mimicking. Is that true? Uh, well, for sure, uh, that is true if you think about safety, uh, so, and, and standardization, et cetera. So uh, we have lots of, uh, lots of things in the, in the fasting mimicking diet that are there to prevent hypotension, hypoglycemia, Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then also in some of the, the studies in mice, uh, for example, we had one on inflammatory bowel disease in mice indicating that um, it was the, the right idea to combine uh, sort of like the, the ingredients that you will see in the centenarian diets uh, in the yes. FMD, uh, because we saw the microbiota was built by the FMD uh, in a way that water-only fasting could not do. So probably because the prebiotics contained in the in this uh, um, you know plant-based diet uh, uh, and, and in the plant-based fasting mimicking diet, these prebiotics were helping to build the lactobacillus, bifidobacteria, and other um, beneficial uh, uh, microbes. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. That um, the information that you're providing through the the food could be designed in such a way to, you know, really yield extraordinary benefit. I, I think one of the things I've observed recently, and I think that it's, it's, it's a little bit of a springboard off of your work, and then people have taken it a little bit further, is that uh, there's, there are some fairly, there's some fairly extreme time-restricted eating structures that, that folks are following these days. Um, where, you know, less food is more, less, more time, more hours in a fasting state is better. You know, one meal a day, a lot of people are doing maybe fasting a couple of days a week. And uh, I, I, I want your thoughts on it. And I, and I, I do want to underscore that we don't want to forget that food is incredibly potent information. So what do you think, what do you think about these various uh, time-restricted structures? Uh, I think that I, I like to use the word of Greenspan, right? Irrational exuberance uh, uh, <laughs> many years ago, right? So, yeah. so we, uh, we're used to, lots of people are used to, you hear something good, like fasting. And then people say, okay, must be the, everything about fasting is good. Now, so let me just pick up the whatever version I think is good, right? So 
And this is true for proteins, uh, for, for anything that you can think of, right? Your proteins are good. Oh, let me just have a ton of them. You know, all the time. Right. And um, so, yeah, so I think that, um, that clearly um, there are now meta-analysis that I use uh, to teach to my students, uh, taking longevity courses, showing that if you skip your breakfast and fast for 16 hours a day, you're going to have a shorter life, most likely, right? Uh, not a longer life, but a shorter life. So, uh, so when you have meta-analysis, um, now they don't talk about skipping dinner, right? So, or skipping lunch, right? So we don't know, of course, mm -hmm. as you modify it, uh, maybe now you go from shorter life to longer life, you skip dinner. But until we have much more data, um, uh, then, uh, then I think we have to be careful and say, what type of fasting, um, let's say daily fasting is not associated with problems at all. And 12 hours will, will be in that category, right? So I, right. I always say, I've never seen 12 hour timers sit eating um, to, uh, uh, to be problematic, right? I, I mean, if there is a paper, somebody please send it to me, but I've never seen it, right? So, so yeah, so then that, that's a good one, right? And then uh, say, no, don't eat for 15 hours a day, eat for 12 hours a day. And that seems to be very, very solid. No, uh, no side effects that we could tell and no association with shorter lifespan, more cardiovascular disease, et cetera, et cetera. More cancer as we've seen for the 16 hours. And, uh, I mean, as we've seen for the breakfast keeping, but 16 hours also associated with uh, gallstone, increased gallstone operation in, in women uh, with gallstones. So another problem, right? Another issue that combined with the first one, now you put it together and you think, Okay, let me stick with 12 and, uh, and not risk that, um, that now I'll have problems and not solutions, you know. Uh, although, because people, of course, focus on the acute effects. Right? So acutely, mm -hmm. for a couple of months, you're going to get a lot of benefits. You know, if you fast for 10, 20 hours a day, of course, you're going to, uh, you know, if you have insulin resistance, that's probably most likely uh, going to be improved uh, as well as other things. But uh, um, that's a problem, right? You cannot just look at acute effects. That's at best one of the four or five pillars that people should use to, uh, uh, to get there. And, and if, if anybody's interested, since you're talking to professionals, you know, I just uh, published a, a review in Cell uh, last month uh, that goes through all of this together with Rose Anderson, who's an expert in color restriction and, um, and the, the, the person that ran the lifelong monkey color restriction studies. So, mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a good it's a good read to see you know uh, how do you get to to this uh, you know what are the the, the sort of solid uh, nutritional interventions and which ones are much uh, weaker. You know? Perfect, that's great. Okay, so folks, that's um, on the show notes. You can just go over to the show notes and you'll see where we've linked to um, to the paper. Thank you. That's actually really helpful. So, I mean, we could just underline that you know, temporary aggressive structure, time-restricted structures could be absolutely appropriate, but it is true. There's, there's some extraordinary kind of exuberance in this arena. And um, I, I appreciate your, um, you know, your, your sort of uh, tempered uh, interpretation of it. So fasting mimicking diet, you know, you've shown activation of stem cells, you know, regeneration and rejuvenation in multiple organs and, you know, reduced risk for diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, heart disease. Um, it's just, it's pretty extraordinary. Uh, 
go ahead. Yeah, any comments on that and where, where you're heading next? Yeah, I think where we always had it was um, the, you cut yourself, and I don't know if we talked about it last time we, we talked, but you cut yourself and within a couple of weeks, that cut is almost perfectly repaired, right? So that's, that's extraordinary, right? Yeah. Well, are we believing that for the liver, for the lungs, for the, for the uh, gut, et cetera, et cetera, we don't have that kind of uh, a potential? I think we do. <clears throat> and right. I think that fasting, refeeding, if done correctly, um, can, can activate lots of these uh, repair, replacement, regeneration systems. And, um, and so, yeah, so I think it's, uh, it's working in almost every, um, every division and every organ we, and system we looked at. Uh, now we have lots of clinical trials running, lots of clinical trials finished, right? So now this year alone, I think uh, we already had two uh, collaborative uh, papers uh, published and we're going to have, uh, uh, and several now you're starting to see other groups. Uh, there was a paper was just published, uh, fasting mimicking diet against uh, <clears throat> a plant-based normal calorie diet, uh, <clears throat> showing you know, superior effects of the FMD in all kinds of metabolic markers. So I think now <clears throat> our own studies, but also those of, of many, many uh, lab um, uh, hospitals and, and institutes around the world um, are gonna hopefully move this into uh, the toolkit of, of, of lots of doctors so that, that we can, uh, it can be used against uh, uh, many diseases. Some of them will need, of course, much more uh, data, mm -hmm. uh, but some of them, like uh, now we're gonna publish on diabetes and we published already several um, papers that have to do with, uh, with uh, um, pre-diabetes, let's say, uh, so that should be enough for, for the endo endocrinologist to begin to consider um, to, uh, to treat prediabetes and, and potentially diabetes. And, um, and, you know, cancer, now there are multiple trials, that, uh, maybe six or seven trials that are concluded. They look very, very good, uh, especially the one in Holland with 125 patients uh, receiving chemotherapy. Um, and, uh, but absolutely we need more trials and, and, and we sort of encourage everybody to, uh, contact me and I, I help, uh, many, many hospital build their trials and I'll help others, uh, you know, uh, come up with new ones. It's just terrific. I, um, you know, I, I was talking to your team about maybe using, uh, the intervention that I studied that you've been really supportive on in, in, in a fasting mimicking structure. So I don't know if, if I, I would love to work with you. And I will, again, on the show notes, folks just kind of corral together some of these studies, the Holland study and on, you know, how to access Dr. Longo, if you would like to jump into doing some research. I, yeah. I just want to say that you, you, I mean, I, it, this has to be just extraordinarily satisfying for you as a scientist and just a, a human being, you know, wanting to you know, do something good in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I just had an interview where a journalist was basically criticizing me because it's like, oh, now you have professors there, there they start companies and, uh, um, and um, you know, uh, they have things that, that are out there and lots of people are doing. Yeah, so uh, it's, it goes both ways, right? Some, some of it is very satisfying and then some of it is uh, uh, you're under attack continuously because... Uh, uh, and conflict of interest and this and that. So I, I yeah, it's, it's, um, 
it's good and bad. Um, but but absolutely, uh, we don't. I don't mind. You know, it's part of the. It's part of what happens. Uh, I think we're focused on. Uh, I always say I think there's gonna be two worlds, right? In in five ten years, it's gonna mm-hmm. be a world that listens to to really solid science and clinical data, epidemiological data, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe let's say, you know, 500 million people, uh, maybe a billion people. And then there's gonna be the rest of the world that decides uh, uh, to, uh, you know, do things they, they, the way they wanna do them. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, as we've seen for this uh, uh, meta-analysis, uh, the, the tremendous difference in life expectancy, it could reach the 15, 20 years in difference yeah. between those that, that, that listen and those that don't, right? So we're, yeah. I'm focusing on those that are willing to listen. And, and I'm not just focusing on the idea of the month. I think I really have a passion for, uh, can I get you to 110 healthy? And, yeah. and if I don't, I'm like, uh, you know, we, we got it wrong more than, Oh, I came up with the fasting making diet. So I'm going to keep pushing the fasting making diet. I right. always say, you know, I like to be the first one that proves myself wrong, right? So if there's, <laughs> if there's a flaw with the fasting making diet, I want to find it. Let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. Hi, everybody. I am thrilled to be introducing you to Pendulum Therapeutics, the first and only brand to offer acromantia mucinophilia, a keystone strain for gut health in a daily probiotic. Acromantia is a unique probiotic strain found in your GI tract that helps with gut lining, and it's vital for gut health. Gut microbiomes change due to genetics, disease, epigenetics, lifestyle, diet, and we might lose our acromancia. It's not available in any foods. Pendulum manufactures and packages this patented strain into a simple probiotic capsule taken once a day with a meal. And for New Frontiers listeners, use code KF20 to subscribe and save 20% on your first month of Pendulum Acromancia. Get it at PendulumLife.com. That's PendulumLife.com. Now let's get back to this month's episode. And, okay. uh, and if there's something better, I want to find that, right? And if somebody else finds it, then I'm going to say, okay, well, this, this is even better than what we've done. And so that's what I'm going to recommend. Well, let me um, ask you to that point, like, is has there been anything i mean have you changed you know the macro or micronutrient ratios in the fasting mimicking diet you know since you first launched it or you know are you do you have an eye towards changing it you know longer duration shorter duration i mean what it what 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 have you seen what what are you thinking about yeah so we we're seeing for example there's a lot of people uh that are allergic intolerant Mm -hmm. uh maybe Mm -hmm. develop uh have autoimmunities uh yeah so we We've now working on non-inflammatory fasting making diet. We're working on, you know, uh, we we have an FDA fasting making diet, which is a drug, and now there's an IND, and we're going to move forward uh, with uh, hormone therapy and breast cancer. Um, and there is a, you know, higher calorie uh, supplemented in between one that we're using for Alzheimer mm-hmm. in, a, in a randomized trial in Italy. Uh, we have uh, a, a seven-day-long uh, uh, autoimmunities version that has now been tested in several hospitals. Um, yeah, so I think obviously we'll keep. Uh, uh, You're tweaking uh, it. Keep having the laboratory and the, and the clinical uh, 
work uh, guiding you know everything we do and people don't realize that you know every ingredient uh, uh, undergoes uh, you know yearly scrutiny uh, based on uh, on everything and the feedback that we get from from people but also on the feedback that we get from from the lab and from the clinical trials all right, right. Uh, what about like what about any supplements? Are you thinking about uh, concurrent supplementation with any vitamins or minerals? Um, we, I mean, I always say that, that taking a multivitamin, um, multimineral, maybe every three or four days is, is a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, the omegas uh, are also a very good idea, mm -hmm. and um, everything else, uh, um, I think, is still. Um, possibilities but uh but i think they uh that each person should be looked at individually to, to, sure. to see you know do they sure. need something specifically or not uh, but i, I thought uh so the, the things that everybody needs uh um yeah probably not a bad idea i don't see many down uh the reason not to to do a multivitamin let's say every three or four days and uh certainly um it, it's not that easy to argue against uh, omega-3 let's say fish oil mm -hmm. um so i mean people could do that but i think it's uh, you know taking some fish oil maybe every other day or something like that 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 probably is uh, it's a good idea um all right what else did i want to ask you in this arena um biological age so i podcasted with with morgan levine a little while ago, and she talked about, I think you guys have a study coming out. Maybe it's in a preprint. I don't know if it's in preprint or not, but it's accepted. You, yeah, yeah, it's, it's accepted. accepted but, can you, can, uh, yeah. can you tell us about it? Two studies. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I cannot, but uh, I can sort of, I can <laughs> sort of tell it. you what we studied, right? So we get that. Yeah. So we studied uh, in two trials for two trials, we obtained the blood and using Morgan Levine's uh, um, biological age, uh, um, bio-age uh, um, uh, system, uh, we, we determine biological age and, and she uses blood markers and I really like her, her method uh, because she looks at seven to 10 blood markers that uh, are associated with you know, changes in mortality uh, based on the, on the CDC databases. So yeah, so then the, 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 in both studies we obtained the, the blood and we look at these markers and we calculated the biological age and so I, I would say within two or three months, uh, hopefully, we're going to publish both of the, the clinical studies and uh, and including the the effect of three three or four cycles of the fasting making diet on uh, biological age. And what what's the duration about for those? Well, yeah, three cycles once a month, right? So, once or four cycles once a month. And one of the two studies was against the Mediterranean diet. So what happens if you do Mediterranean diet for four months versus, you know, only, let's say, five days a month of a, of a fasting mimicking diet? And uh, uh, yeah. And, and what did, you, what did you have them follow in between? Oh, whatever it is that they, no changes, right? So this is our, uh, our MO, right? So mm -hmm. um, you... Of course, you know, uh, in, in, this, in the cell review, I described the longevity diet, which is, you know, every day, vegan, pescatarian, and all of that. But for the FMD, we're basically saying, we're thinking of it as a medicine, right? So instead of taking drugs, uh, what if once a month, uh, uh, well, 
in the trial once a month. I mean, uh, we expect that now in a large trial that we're going to run in Southern Italy, we're going to do every, uh, every three months, right? So, so what if you did this every three months uh, for five days and it comes in a package and you have everything in there and you just take it as you would take a medicine, a plant-based medicine, and then you go back to whatever it is that you did before. Wow. And have you studied, um, I'm sorry for not, for not knowing this off the top of my head, toggling between longevity and FMD with any other kind of a control? Well, I mean, this trial that was just published, they did that uh, and it was, uh, uh, let's say, uh, I think it was uh, matched with uh, a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. uh, so the FMD cycles against a plant-based diet. And um, uh, I, I, uh, the one that from Heidelberg uh, University, they're gonna publish, it was, uh, um, it was again a fasting making diet against, I think it was a Mediterranean diet done only for the five days a month. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this was for diabetic nephropathy. Um, yeah, so there's a, starting to be a number of studies that um, are, uh, are comparing the, um, the FMD against uh, controlled diets in a healthy controlled diet. And I have to say though, I don't know if you saw it, but we published a, a few months ago, a paper in Nature Metabolism that was looking at mice uh, connecting to what I said earlier about let them go back to whatever it is that they do. So we, mm -hmm. we took mice, we gave them a, a high fat, high calorie diet, they became huge. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then once a month, uh, we gave them uh, five days of the FMD, right? And then back to the, the very bad Western diet. And we thought we would get sort of like an in-between effect, but in fact, it, it reversed basically all the things that we looked at. We looked at cholesterol, we looked at, uh, you know, obesity, we looked at cardiac uh, function, uh, we looked at the glucose tolerance, and uh, just the five days a month, uh, notwithstanding the, the, the terrible diet that they had uh, in between, uh, was enough to bring them back. Of course, they did not get the advantage of the fasting-making diet as they will have when they're on a normal diet. Now the FMD makes you live longer than, than the controlled diet, right? But, uh, but uh, if you're a mouse. Um, but uh, it was remarkable that the, um, the FMD cycles allowed the, everything, including longevity, to be non, uh, statistically not uh, different uh, from that of the control. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, that's just really amazing. It seems like so much possibility. And if, you, if one could toggle between, certainly as you know, many people in our arena here in functional medicine are toggling between doing an F a periodic FMD and then, a, you know, another healthy diet, you know, probably not dissimilar from your longevity diet. And so, I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of possibility when you had your, you know, when you just stated your original mission to allow people to live to 110 healthy. That, yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah the, I think the reality is if you look at smoking, right, right. So now, I mean, nobody in the world doesn't believe that smoking kills you. Uh, yet, uh, I don't know what the number, new numbers are, but about half of the people that used to smoke are still smoking, right? So we can have the attitude, oh, tough, tough luck, you know, uh, you should smoke, quit smoking, and if you're going to get a problem, it's your problem. Or we could say, okay, we realize that some people are just going to have a bad diet, 
or a lot of people are just going to have a bad diet. We realize that in the United States, is over 70% of people are overweight or obese, and in Europe is about 50%. And uh, and we realize that we're going to push the longevity diet and Mediterranean diet and all kinds of other diets, but uh, it's going to be tough to convince yeah. maybe more than a quarter of the people. I mean, that I would say that's like a, a, an incredible scenario that we convince a quarter of the people to make uh, lots of like uh, adherence to, you know, in Italy, for example, less than 10% of people do a Mediterranean diet, right? And Mediterranean uh, diet is much more permissive than the longevity diet. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a reality, right? And so what do you do with, with everybody else? You just say nothing. Well, I think that that's where the FMD comes in and, uh, and say, okay. And, and, and I don't think, uh, so, so people from the company, I, I founded, uh, I would say, uh, try to do it once a month. And I think that people, uh, lots of people will benefit, you know, if you do it three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now it becomes very reasonable, right? So it becomes very reasonable to, to say to somebody, okay, I don't want to revolutionize your, your diet, but three or four times a year, can you do a cycle of, of five days of FMD? It comes in a box, it's very easy. And as I, I, you know, I see, uh, and maybe I'm delusional, but I see this being a 60, 70% of the, of the people mm-hmm. possibility, you know? Um, with some people maybe not getting to four and doing it twice and, and say, oh, yeah, I got to do that again. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, certainly moving in the right direction. And also, I think what we see with the plant-based uh, diet, uh, FMD, that people start gravitating towards the, the more plant-based nutrition, right, without us having to tell them to do that. Uh, this is something that we see over and over in the clinical trial. So you do two or three cycles of the FMD, of the plant-based FMD. And then uh, lots of people will say, you know what? I'm starting to eat less uh, of this and less of that and becoming, you know, I'm, I didn't become a, a pescatarian, but I'm certainly eating better than I used to do it. Do you, I mean, I mean, subjectively, you know, I'm sure they're clearly feeling better. There's some sort of an underlying motivator. Uh, to continue to follow some version of it. I mean, yeah, you- I think, yeah, I think uh, if you look at the animal studies, and I think these are also known for human studies, you know, there's something called food aversion, right? So you, uh, you eat a certain food, you feel bad, and now you're associating that food with feeling bad. And, and most likely, almost for sure, there is also the opposite of that, right? So you're starting to eat a certain set of foods in the FMD and you feel a lot better. And then, uh, and then you, you have this connection with that food. You develop this connection, which you, you, you wanna seek again um, more often, let's say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that would be a very interesting uh, type of study to do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure that anybody has done this type of studies, but is it possible that um, there is a, um, there is an instinct to, to move towards a certain food after you've experienced, you know, feeling good with that, with that particular food. You know? I mean, we certainly see that in clinical, in clinical practice anecdotally, you know, when you prescribe a, a healthful diet and, and the patient is adherent to it long enough, they feel better. It, that's, it's, it becomes self-fulfilling. They want, they want to stay on it. And then they begin to, they begin to kind of juxtapose you know, those times when they slip back onto their standard American diet with, you know, how good they felt 
on a healthy diet. And, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty extraordinary to witness that change. And, you know, just to beyond that is, uh, you know, since, since it's often women who will come and seek functional medicine um, and adopt these programs, they can, and since, you know, in this country, they're, they tend to be the, the shoppers and the, and, and the cooks and so forth in the kitchen, there tends to be a family influence that can happen as well. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the question is then, do they do it? Because if you do it, because you know you have to lose weight or be healthier, that's still tough. Yeah, if that's right. If you do it because it makes you feel good, then that's much easier, right? And yes. you're doing it because, hey, I like this more now. You know, I, I, I like it more when I eat this versus that. So I used yeah. to eat steak every day. And now I have, I, I tasted the, um, the soup with lentils. And uh, you know what? Those, that soup made me feel good. So now I, I, maybe I like it more than, than the steak every day. You know? So if that happens, then that's a for life change, right? If, if it's a calculation, then it's last about you know, one to two years. And then uh, you're going to go back to whatever it is you came from. Yeah, that's right. So I think and- that's a difference, right? Uh, it, it has to be much more um, instinct. Uh, driven than than calculated and, and then it, it has a chance of uh, staying with you for for a long time absolutely yeah that, no doubt about it um okay so i want to you know another thing that's happened that i've observed is you know your research started to just really again influence us profoundly i mean those of us practicing medicine and just regular people and how we're prescribing protein and you know, fervently in our clinic here, we all started measuring IGF-1 and pulling back on protein. And, and um, we were, we have really fairly modest protein requirements in the, in the methylation diet that we um, have, have published on. Uh, but I'm seeing that, that there has been some challenge to this idea of continual low protein. And I know you say, obviously, when you, when you get older to bump protein up to maintain muscle mass, but I was just, um, uh, reading recently about um, higher, significantly higher protein intake in a, a metabolically healthy individual and sort of pulsing this protein to, to purposely stimulate mTOR and IGF production um, to lay down muscle. So I think much greater protein requirements and, you know, branch chain aminos, which are, you know, from animal uh, sources primarily. So there's so in healthy individuals, sort of pulsatile ingestion of higher amounts of protein um, as associated with health and potentially longevity. I just, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, longevity, I like to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I always say, you know, uh, if you study people, um, I, I just saw a documentary the other day and it had uh, heroin uh, from back in, I don't know, 120 years ago, right? They used to sell heroin. I was really surprised, right? And I forgot what the claim was. So, uh, so you know, you could think of cocaine or, or, or heroin and you could say, well, if you study people on cocaine, uh, you know, you probably see a lot of benefits, right? And, uh, um, but of course, nobody would recommend that people go on, on drugs uh, for the rest of their lives, right? So, so I think that um, this is why in, in the cell review, um, we spend a lot of time explaining, right? So you have to have multiple pillars. 
And you have to say, well, what, uh, okay, you have a pulsatile protein intake high, right? So when you increase, uh, that could very well be the worst thing you can do for cancer, for example. Mm. Right? So you have a, a system sure. that is standing by a precancerous cell. All of a sudden, mm. you have tons of protein. IGF-1 is going to go sky high. TOR is going to go sky high. That looks, that's exactly how we try to promote cancer in the lab, right? You have, especially if you have a carcinogen of some kind, it could be the sun, right? It could be, so now you're combining a carcinogen, maybe something you ate um, with uh, this high protein. And now you have the, the, the recipe for, for, for cancer. Um, also because IGF-1 is an anti-apoptotic agent. So you have anti-apoptotic pro-growth pro, uh, pro uh, mm -hmm. you know, so you may have a problem. So, you know, but hey, maybe not, right? Maybe <laughs> it's a crazy, uh, you know, there is a reason why that doesn't happen. Okay, fine. Then you got 30 years of studies ahead of you to disprove these 30 years that we just finished very, very uh, clearly showing a low but sufficient protein diet, mostly vegan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is associated with, you know, if you start at 20, 13 years of increased life expectancy, um, and, um, and uh, you know, we've shown in our study with Morgan Levine, by the way, um, a, a 75, a, a, if you have a high protein diet, a 75% increase in overall, the risk of overall mortality, in a 400% increase in the risk of developing cancer or of cancer mortality, right? So these are huge numbers, yeah. Huh. Um, and, um, and I think they're supported by the Harvard study. They're supported by the um, uh, Simpson and our study mice. Uh, they're supported by the studies over and over and over showing methane restriction, protein restriction, extend lifespan. Uh, they're supported by the Laurent studies where uh, protein response pathways when, uh, when these genes are inactivated, the mice live longer, the people never develop cancer, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, yeah, so it's just uh, overwhelming evidence against it. Of course, you cannot confuse uh, low protein with malnourishment. There's two right. very different things, right? right? So if you have low protein and we've shown it, for example, in the, uh, uh, in the trial that we published with women with breast cancer last year, uh, where we give them a, a muscle training exercise, we give them the right amount of protein and, and the fasting making diet. And they're actually, actually, we give them a little bit too much protein in between fasting making diet cycle. But the point of that study was that, um, you know, if you have the right type of exercise and the, and the right amount of protein, you can certainly keep that good muscle mass. Because we give them too much, they actually started increasing muscle mass, which was really uh bizarre you know but uh uh but i lo i lost that fight that, that one time with the with the physicians because they convinced uh they the one in overfeeding proteins to the women in the clinical trial um and, and there was no need to do it but 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 sure enough that resulted in an increased muscle mass which was not needed well let me just ask you this though there was a 2014 study out of um i think ucla showing looking at NHANES data and those in the highest quartile for muscle mass. I mean, these were like middle-aged men and women had, you know, lived the longest. So there is something to, you know, having- well, I a, mean, 
Yeah, I mean that that you could be looking at frailty, right? So so um, uh, the, the the muscle mass could be a um, a, uh, a, a and we see this, you know, for example, in the same study I just mentioned, after sixty five, those that had low protein, they did the worst for for overall mortality, for cancer mortality, et cetera, et cetera. So clearly, um, you need to be strong, let's say, right? Yeah. You cannot be frail. Yeah. And, uh, and so it makes sense that if you look at a bunch of people and the ones that, that you know, have muscle are probably well-nourished and, uh, um, and those, you know, hopefully they have a, a pretty good diet, uh, but it, it may make sense that they beat uh, uh, those that might be malnourished and that may be frail, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be the ones uh, uh, that high protein um, is going to make you live longer because clearly we see over and over the vegans and the pescatarian and the vegetarian. And this is like many, many studies, right? They are the ones that are living the longest. And, uh, and if you look at the Okinawans and if you look at the, the, the people from the longevity zones of Loma Linda, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, you're not going to see bodybuilders there, you know? Uh, you're going to see, if, if anything, the opposite. You're going to see a lot of frail people that may be protein malnourished. You know? so, so, which is not what we want. So we want to obtain the longevity effect, but we want to avoid that 70, 75-year-old and after frailty that you even see in the, in the record longevity uh, people. Let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. I wrote my upcoming book, Younger You, Reduce Your Bio-Age and Live Longer, Better, because our research strongly suggests that we don't have to accept the inevitability of disease and unwellness as we age. And perhaps we don't have to accept aging as we age. Take that one in. And further, we achieve this biological age reversal without expensive and risky hormones, injections, or hacks, but with a simple, smartly designed diet and lifestyle program. When we saw our study participants reverse their bioage by over three years as compared to our control group, it was clear to me, even as we move forward with more research, that you needed access to our program now. You can do this in two ways. Our 3YY digital program encompasses what we did in our study in an actionable, all-encompassing, doable structure, and my book, which covers our study, my story, the behind-the-scenes adventures, and a dive into the fascinating world of modifying genetic expression, plus loads of recipes and bioage assessments and an appendix extraordinaire. Please see youngeryouprogram.com for details on how to access both. Now let's get back to this month's episode. What about in this country where, you know, legumes can actually spike blood sugar? I mean, you can, I mean, I'm with you on the impressive diets of, you know, the, the cent, those regions where there's a high percentage of centenarians, but, you know, again, the standard American who's not very metabolically flexible doesn't do well with some of you know, what these blue zoner diets are comprised of. Yeah, but these are health, what I call health pillar approaches, right? So, so the, a spike in sugar is irrelevant uh, if you're insulin sensitive and healthy. Um, mm, interesting. And so so you, need to, you need to get in this, uh, we, I call it winter mode, right? So uh, everybody in the United States or most people are in this uh, summer mode where we are accumulating fat uh, because, you know, it used to be 10,000 years ago 
if you don't accumulate fat when there's a lot of food in the summer, you have the fruits and the nuts and the honey or whatever, you're gonna die in the winter, right? So, so yeah, if you're stuck in the modality, of course, uh, um, you know, the, the, the spike, and I'm not even sure that that's clear that the spike, of, of, I, I cover papers in my class where, you know, some, so there are some large studies showing high glycemic food uh, um, is not associated with, uh, with weight gain. So that's, even that is tricky, but let's say that it was negative, right? So yeah, it's gonna be negative if you're otherwise uh, insulin resistant. And, uh, and I like to see papers on, on, on showing that. So yeah, the legumes, the last thing you have to worry about is the sugar spike uh, because the legume by um, having a low protein uh, content and certain amino acids are, are low, uh, should help you uh, lose weight. And, um, and, um, and also, uh, as we've shown very clearly now, uh, should help downregulate the growth hormone IGF-1 axis. And, uh, and that uh, is associated with insulin sensitization in spite of obesity, right? So, mm -hmm. so in, the, in both in the mice and the humans with growth hormone IGF-1, so if you inactivate the protein signaling pathway, in spite of obesity, you remain insulin sensitive. Right. Listen, so let me just, I want to just say what you said again. The spike in sugar is irrelevant if you're insulin sensitive. So you're if clearly- I, In fact, it may be good for yeah. you. It may be building, it might right. help you. Now we know that right. sugars, right. as we've shown decades ago in yeast, can help drive TOR, right? So now you need a certain amount of leucine to build muscle to drive TOR. And it may be, and this is what we're actually with the, in mm. a collaboration with the Cabo, some of the data was suggesting that that the higher sugar um, may be helping you actually in, in muscle building. Just to give you an example, we don't know, I'm yeah. not saying it as a, as a, as a statement, as a, as a fact, but I'm saying as a possibility, uh, the spike could actually help you. Of course, the spike can, yeah. can hurt you uh, if, uh, if it somehow is contributing. To well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I, I'm just thinking as a, as a I'm, I'm, I, I used to compete as a cyclist and I still like to ride and there's no doubt about it that I, you know, do better when I've got a spike in my sugar, you know, that I'm releasing some glycogen. And I mean, it would make sense that, you know, we would be designed evolutionarily to, you know, maybe have a little sugar with whatever animal meat we might be gnawing on back, back in the day. And those together would influence yeah, and, and what mean, we do. Yeah. Sweets, uh, forget legumes, right. Um, Multiply by right. 10. Uh, if right. you look every centenarians around the world uh, that I've met, uh, you know, they had regular sweets, maybe not a lot, but, right. you know, probably every day. Right. So right, right. Uncle Mont used to eat chocolate every day. And uh, when I brought, I, I, you know, I followed Emma Morano, who got to 117. And when she was 116, I bought her a cake <laughs> and, uh, and she put it aside. And I thought, nah, it's just, I made a mistake. You know, who brings a cake to 116 year old? And then like one minute later, her niece calls me and she, and she, from the balcony. She's like, she's eating the cake, you know? <laughs> and she's like, she, that cake was gone in a matter of like 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> the whole so cake, you know? So, so yeah, imagine now that against the, uh, the legumes, right? Uh, yeah. Sure, so, sure, sure. So. Well, let me ask you this then, because, you know, I, I think that this I just, I think your research has been very influential and I think it's caused a lot of shifts in, in our world and continuous glucose monitors are a big thing right now. And people will set a very tight range. Like I'm going to keep my 
sugar within 70 to 100, regardless of what I'm eating. And, 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 and one has to control what they're ingesting pretty tightly to, you know, never spike above 100. I mean, there's been a lot of attention around spikes as being detrimental. And, and you know, again, you're, you're saying, no, that's I'm not saying true. Uh, throw out unless you have uh, um, A1C in the, you know, not right. in an ideal range, throw out the continuous glucose monitor and live your life, you know, um, <laughs> because if anything, it's going to shorten your life. Uh, yeah, I agree. Once you start getting the A1C, you know, you're starting to get 5.3, 5.4. Uh, okay, now what's going on? Why, why are you getting sure. there? Probably I would do a FMD. Uh, I would do the fasting making diet. Then you're going to go right back to where you came from. I would, you know, intervene uh, with, with the everyday diet, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and they'll go away. But if it doesn't go away and, and it's unexplained, Yes, absolutely. For people that have problems, then the continuous glucose monitor is good. And you can see, um, start seeing, well, which foods are affecting you uh, and your blood glucose and, and yeah. why, right? So yeah, that may be. But for everybody else, I think, um, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's really, uh, if anything, it could be uh, problematic long run to, to be worried about um, in the absence of an A1C elevation, what is it about what spikes and what doesn't spike? I mean, stick with the pillars, meaning, you know, including the food of centenarians from around the world, right? So yeah. this is, uh, if you stick with things that people uh, have consumed for a hundred years and they reach record longevity in many different areas of the world, you're, in, you're good, right? Uh, now it might not work for you. And so that's one of the things that I say, uh, so you, if you're gluten intolerant or if you have celiac disease or if you have intolerance to tomatoes or to nuts, you know, that's a different story that you got to right. avoid that. But, um, but I think that, um, you know, all this technology and trying to, you know, uh, monitor everything is just going to get people to, uh, to be stressed out about all of this and, 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 and not enjoy the foods like legumes. I mean, if you look at the Fadner study, uh, the Norwegian study that just came out, a legume, the, the number one food for um, life expectancy extension was legumes. Mm. Yeah. And okay. this was China, Europe, and the United States, right? Considered millions of people meta-analysis. This is not a study, one study, one. This is looking at all studies and looking at databases and in three different continents. What's a good A1C in your opinion? Or what you've seen in your, your research? Well, I, you know, different people, uh, obviously, uh, probably, you know, below five mm -hmm. uh, is, is good. And, uh, but, you know, some people could be, uh, and also it probably depends uh, in different ages. You know, it could be that mm -hmm. 80 year old, uh, um, an A1C that is higher may not be such a bad thing, right? So, so we know that, um, you know, uh, weight maybe being, uh, around 25 BMI, if you're 85 years old, may be a good thing, right? Right, uh, yeah, that's right. So as long as you're generally healthy and you're not diabetic, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, so I think that probably age dependent and, and people dependent, but uh, in general, uh, if you can stay below five, it's probably good, yeah. And what about a BMI for younger individuals? 
Well, BMI, I, I always look at this, this data um, where I think for males, a, a, uh, you know, keeping your fat, first of all, because BMI could be telling you a lot and right. nothing. Yes, let's say true. you keep your fat below, let's say 20%, if you're a male and maybe, uh, you know, not too much higher if you're a female. Um, it, and then, then the BMI 22 to 23 seems to be ideal for mortality for males. And it's a, it's a little bit lower for, for females, the ideal one. Now, it doesn't mean that you cannot be BMI 19 if you're a woman and to be very healthy. But I'm saying in general, if you take a million people, um, you know, in the say 2021 20, range seems to be ideal for females and a, a, a 22 to 23 and a half uh, seems to be ideal for males for, for overall mortality. So um, keto, getting into ketosis, I mean, obviously on the fasting mimicking one would be, I mean, are you, it, it, is it worth it to measure ketones? I feel like I know what your answer is going to be there based on what we just <laughs> talked about. But yeah, absolutely not. You know, I keep your ketones low uh, most of the time, but uh, but I think it's very important to have moments uh, of uh, of high ketones uh -huh. in the fasting in a natural way. You know, and uh, and those seem to be very beneficial. Now. Is it possible that, you know, if you have high ketones all the time, uh, this could be beneficial? You know, certainly Eric Verdin and others have shown in mice that, that this could extend the lifespan. But these are very extreme diets, right? So how many people are willing to, to do that? And then, um, you know, what could be the bad side of the ketones? Um, we don't know. Um, yeah, so I think that if we had three or four lives, I would say, well, give it a shot. You know, like, you know we'll try something <laughs> different in your next life. Uh, having one life, I would say probably want to stick with that, with that common denominator, uh, you know, of epidemiology, clinical studies, centenarian study, basic research, and uh, and, and and most of this, uh, or if not all of it, suggest um, a high carbohydrate diet uh, and um, and you know fats, but mostly from plant-based sources and a uh, low to moderate protein intake, mostly from plant-based sources. This is, seems to be pretty consistent over and over and over. Uh, and people shouldn't confuse uh, the high carbohydrate with high calorie, right? Mm -hmm. From carbohydrate. Yeah, so it's be high, high carbohydrate having the, the, you know, being able to maintain that BMI, let's say between 21 and 23 and a half, uh, and be able to maintain the fat below uh, 22% or so. Uh, yeah. So those are, um, uh, those are probably, um, the, the ideal diets. Uh, now the Lancet study, uh, meta-analysis from a few years ago on lifespan showed that if you had a 20%, um, carbohydrate diet, uh, which should probably be associated with, um, high ketones, um, you had a 60% increased risk of mortality, overall mortality. And, uh, you know, and the best was the, uh, when you had carbohydrate in the 50, 60% range. Um, hmm. yeah. So those seem to be um, the, 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 the type of diet that, that matches uh, long, long lives and not associated that I could tell um, with any uh, side effects, you know, so you don't need to be frail 
with this diet, uh, you don't need to be have low muscle mass. Um, and uh, so there is no reason uh, to, uh, I mean, to me, there's no reason to, to go to the ketones. And two, we have much more data um, you know, proving or, or certainly getting close to it that there are no side effects and it's all positive and it's very consistent, like we said right. for all these things that I'm talking about. Yeah, right, right, right. Last time we podcasted, you said something sort of compelling about, you know, people ingesting the exogenous ketones who are on a very high carbo carbohydrate diet and sort of the biochemical cacophony of that information. <laughs> Which yeah, then yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah. I always say like, imagine if if your hybrid car was trying to run both on gasoline and electricity at the same yeah. time, but it was not programmed to do that, right? So. What will happen? Well, you know, I don't know, but it may break down eventually, right? So if you just rewire it, so it's like, yeah, I want to get more power out of it. And so I'm going to rewire. So it's, it's feeding from both uh, engines. Uh, well, that could be a problem, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it, it isn't how we certainly didn't involve using both of those tools simultaneously, at least not in high, high, high amounts. So the exercise prescription, I mean, what, what's, what's ideal? Yeah, again, I stick with the meta-analysis, 150 minutes a week um, is, seems to be close to ideal. You got 300 and not much changes as far as mortality is concerned. Um, it's doable for most people. And uh, yeah, and then I, I, on top of that, I add about a, a, at least an hour a day of walking. Um, that seems to be very, very common among centenarians. Uh, so I, I like to, uh, even though there's not much science behind it, but I, I think it's, um, it's a good idea. Resistance training, high, in high intensity interval training, heart, you know, getting your heart rate up, et cetera. Like what do, what do you yeah, think? Yeah. Yeah. I think about 10%, the data suggests about 10% of the, uh, uh, of the exercise should be, uh, strenuous, uh, or should be pushing yourself, uh, uh, more or a lot more depending on the age again you know these are recommendation you know, one thing is if you're 20 or 30 one thing is if you're 80 right so mm -hmm. so i i wouldn't tell an 80 year old to to do 10 percent of, of do 15 minutes of strenuous exercise uh, so you know yeah adjusted for for age dependent um, and health dependent uh, factors i think that some of it should be uh pushing yourself more and uh, and weight training, of course, yeah, you know, you have to keep uh, all the muscle challenged. So so that's uh, um, probably learning how to do all kinds of different uh, um, resistance training mm -hmm. is uh, is important. Maybe with an expert that they can point you in the right direction. You know? Is there too much exercise? I talked about it in my first book and I said it's it's not easy because when you look at the data for too much exercise, you don't see too much of it, yeah. but uh, you certainly hear the stories. We had NFL players, you know, coming to see us with all kinds of problems. And um, and so you would think, right, that, um, that if somebody overdid it, eventually think uh, that the system or different parts can get worn out. Uh, so yeah, I, I think so, but the data is not very clear on it, but right. maybe not too many people are working on excess exercising. Well, you know, I, so when we were looking at it, there is some evidence of a pro-aging effect with 
you know, some, some professional athletes, I think when the study we cited was like a small, looking at Polish weightlifters, <laughs> it was like a pretty yeah, yeah, rarefied group. But the other piece that like, if you want to find a population that's low in secretory IgA, you know, one of our main uh, immunoglobulin to, 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 to fight off infection, um, you know, in saliva or, you know, in a, in a, in a nasal swab, look at an athlete postseason. like they're always low, you know, and that seems to be when they are at risk for, um, upper respiratory infections and stuff like that. So, yeah. Interesting um, because one of the first cases of almost lethal COVID in Italy was a marathon, uh, runner, somebody that had been pushing himself to the limit. Right. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't remember if he died, it was very close to dying, but it was, it was interesting because this was the early, early days of COVID and, uh, and the whole nation talked about it and it was strange, right? Why would this yeah. young person athlete be one of the first one that in, ends up in the ICU? Yeah. So, yeah, Makes so sense. It, may, it may be relating to the same thing you're saying. Yeah. Secretary IGA, just a, a drop in it. It's like, if you want a population of mercury toxicity, you look at dentists and, if you want to see a bunch of people with low secretary IGA, look at an athlete post season, at least for a little while, yeah. I think that, that that's yeah. been, that's been published on. Well, anyway, Dr. Longo, it was just a really a, a treat to get to talk to you and hear about all the things that you're up to and, you know, your command of the literature in your field is, is really nice. I know everybody's going to appreciate it. We'll corral together as many of those citations as we can, you guys So just go over to the show notes to grab them. Uh, and just congratulations on doing such, such, such good work for, you know, for all of us. Yeah, thank you. And, and you're doing great work. So congratulations to you. Thank you. All right, to be continued. As always, thank you for listening to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where our sponsors help bring the very best minds in functional medicine. And today is no exception. Not everyone can be a sponsor on my platform. And I so appreciate the good work the relentless research, and the generous support from my friends at Biotics, TA Sciences, and Integrative Therapeutics. These are brands I know and trust in my own clinic and can confidently recommend them to you. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com, tasciences.com, and integrativepro.com. And please tell them you learned about them on New Frontiers. If it's not too much to ask, I would appreciate a thumbs up and a kind review wherever you're listening to New Frontiers. Thanks.